welcome back to Have You Seen It? I'm Maggie, and in this episode, I have a historical fiction from Ireland to tell you about. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, so I am pretty excited about this episode because the show Rebellion deals with something that I focused on in grad school, kind of. But before we get to that... This show is from Ireland and first aired in 2016. It was created by Colin Teven and is a RTE, Broadcasting Authority of Ireland, Sundance TV, Zodiac Media Ireland, Element Pictures, and Touch Paper Television production. And it aired on RTE1 in Ireland, Sundance TV here in the US, and on YLE in Finland. It is available on Netflix worldwide except for Ireland and Finland, and it is available in Ireland on RTE Player. There are two seasons. Technically, it's two different series, though on Netflix they are under the same thing. They're both under Rebellion. But the second series is called Resistance. The second one came out in 2019. And there are five episodes per season, and they're all about an hour long. So season one takes place in 1916 Dublin, Ireland. Ireland is in Europe, and the island is broken up into two countries. The Republic of Ireland, which just goes by Ireland, and Northern Ireland. Dublin is in the Republic of Ireland, for those that didn't know. There are a total of 32 counties on the entire island, and 26 of them are in the Republic of Ireland. The island of Ireland is the smaller island to the left of Great Britain, and Dublin, which is the capital of Ireland, is located in the eastern part of the country in Dublin County, which is in the Leinster province. But Dublin County is surrounded by Wicklow to the south, Kildare to the west, and Meath to the west and northwest. So some fun facts about Ireland are that there are more Irish people that live outside of Ireland than there are in Ireland. There are about 80 million Irish people worldwide and only 6 million people in Ireland. There are hundreds of different accents in Ireland. Almost every single town and village in Ireland has its own accent, which is crazy to me because it is such a small country. But it also makes sense because I know that it's been invaded quite a few times. But the fact that almost every town has its own is wild to me. It would make sense if it was like gradually changing, like the further out you got from like a main city. But it's like one village to the next is completely different. There's also three different Irish dialects. Ulster dialect, which is mostly spoken in the north of the island, the Connacht dialect, which is mostly spoken in the western part of the country, and the Munster dialect, which is spoken in the southern part of the country. Because of those three different dialects, it also makes sense why there are so many different accents, because, like for example, the name Siobhan, which I already know gives a lot of people a lot of trouble. S-I-O-B-H-A-N, Siobhan. It's also pronounced Siobhan in some parts of Ireland. So I understand why the accents are all different when you're pronouncing the same word completely different. Another fact is that Halloween comes from the Irish festival called Samhain, which is spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N. Gotta love the Irish language, which is a Gaelic festival to mark the end of the harvest season. It's believed to have Celtic pagan origins. Contrary to popular belief, the national symbol of Ireland is not the shamrock. It is the harp. And the last fun fact is that Rotunda Hospital in Dublin is the longest running maternity hospital in the world. It opened in 1745. 
This show is in English with some scenes in Irish or Gaelic, which is just Irish in Irish, like Spanish in Spanish is Espanol. There is an audio alternative with audio description in English, which I believe is to help those with visual impairments, and the only subtitles are closed caption English. This show is rated TVMA, and the disclaimers for this show are nudity, swearing, gore, smoking, fear, and substances. Now, full disclosure, those are the ones given by Netflix, and I have no idea what it means by fear. I've only seen that on one other show, and it was a rom-com. I didn't understand it then, other than maybe the fear of intimacy or love, but I don't understand it with this show either. If you know what that means, please let me know. And when it comes to substances, I would assume that would be referring to drugs, but I don't remember any drug usage, so maybe it's talking about alcohol because there is definitely alcohol consumption. And I didn't find it too gory, to be honest, but I wanted to mention that because they listed on Netflix. I also want to say that this show is not a documentary, and it's not meant to be one. While a lot of it is accurate, there are historians that are not happy with some of the inaccuracies, like the uniforms aren't the right shade of green, and no one shot Dublin civilians looting the stores. If you're looking for a documentary on the Easter Rising, there is one on bbc.co.uk. I will put the link on the Facebook page if you want to watch that. One more thing before I go on. Because I have done a ton of research prior to this in grad school, I did use some of my own papers while getting some of the information, so I'm going to put the books and other articles that I used while writing those papers in the list of links as well if you are interested. The links to all the websites where I got the information for this show, the fun facts, and any other information that I did not use my memory for are going to be linked in the description of this episode as well as in the caption for the post that I made for the show on Instagram. So there are a lot of characters in this show. I'm not going to go over all of them. Like, I'm not going to go over everyone that's in season two of the show. I will mention some real life people that make an appearance throughout the show at the end of this section, but I'm going to go over the characters that play the biggest part in season one. The first one is Elizabeth Butler, who is played by Charlie Murphy. She goes by Liza, and she is one of the three main female leads in the show, and she is a medical student who is studying to become a doctor. She comes from a wealthy background and joins the fight on the side of the Irish Citizens Army. She is engaged to Stephen Duffy Lyons, who is an officer in the British Army, and he is played by Paul Reed. Next is Frances O'Flaherty, who is portrayed by Ruth Bradley. She is the second of the three main female leads, and she joins the fight alongside the Irish Citizen Army on the front lines. She works at St. Edna's School, which is a bilingual school for boys set up by Patrick Pierce, who I will talk about in a minute. May Lacey is portrayed by Sarah Green, and she is the final of the three, and she works at Dublin Castle as the secretary or assistant to Charles Hammond. Dublin Castle is the headquarters for the British administration in Ireland. The next person is Jimmy Mann, who is played by Brian Gleeson, and he is a volunteer with the Irish Citizens Army as well. His brother Arthur Mann, who goes by Art and is portrayed by Barry Ward, is a member of the British Army. Some other characters that play some significant roles in the first season are Dolly Butler, who is played by Michelle Fairley, and she is Liza's mother. Edward Butler is Liza's father, and he is played by Ian McElhinney. And the last butler is Liza's brother Harry, and he is played by Michael Ford Fitzgerald. Art's wife, Peggy, is played by Lydia McGinnis, and his daughters are Minnie, who is played by Jordane Jones, Sadie, who is played by Jalen Wallace Ruane, and Gracie, who is played by Millie Donnelly. And his son, Peter, is played by Jason Cullen. Now, there are a lot of real-life people portrayed in this show. 
I didn't even realize how many there were until I was going over the cast list for this episode, so I'm going to focus on the ones that play bigger parts in this series. I'm going to mention the ones on the Irish side first, but the first one is Patrick Pierce, who I mentioned earlier. He is one of the leaders of the Easter Rising in 1916. He is portrayed by Marcus Lamb in this show. James Connolly, he was a Scottish-born leader of the Irish Citizen Army, and he was also one of the leaders of Easter Rising in 1916. He's one of the most recognizable names to come out of the Easter Rising. There's a scene where Art and his family go into Eamon Street Station, and that is now called Connolly Station after him. And he is played by Brian McCarty. The person that is often credited with influencing the Easter Rising the most is Thomas Clark. In the show, he's recognized as the acting president of the movement, but online it says that he turned down any official ranking. So I don't know if that's one of the historical inaccuracies that historians mention when talking about this show, but he is played by Lala Roddy. Sean McDermott is another one of the leaders of the Rising that is featured on the show. He's portrayed by Sean Fox. Michael Collins was the IRA Director of Intelligence. He's portrayed by Sebastian Tauman in the first season and by Gavin Dre in the second. Countess Constance Markovich was a founder of the Irish Citizen Army, Fianna Erin, a youth movement, and Cuminaman, the women's paramilitary organization that fought alongside the Irish volunteers. Liza joins her battalion, and she is played by Camille O'Sullivan. Eamon de Valera was one of the commanders during the Rising and became the third president of Ireland in 1959. He is played by Stephen Mullen. Arthur Griffith was an Irish writer who founded the political party Sinn Féin. He is in the second season and played by Andrew Bennett. Now, when it comes to the British side, there were only four that I thought played big enough roles to mention, if I'm being honest with you. Lieutenant Colonel Sir Matthew Nathan was the Undersecretary for Ireland at the time of the Easter Rising, and the Undersecretary for Ireland was the permanent head of the British administration in Ireland. He is played by Michael Feast. Major General William Lowe, he was the commander of the 3rd Reserve Cavalry Brigade, and when he reached Dublin, he took command of the British forces. He is played by Jack Shepard. Major General Charles Blackader was one of the main players on the British side and shared the courts martial of several of the Irish volunteers. He is played by Mark Lambert. The last person I will mention for the British side is General Ormond Winter. He was the Chief of Intelligence in Dublin Castle and he is played by Paul Ritter. The other real life person that I want to mention was the first person killed in the 1916 Rising, and he is represented in this show. Constable James O'Brien, who is portrayed by Barry Barnes, like I said, was the first person killed during the Rising. He was an unarmed policeman on duty at the court kill entrance to the upper yard of Dublin Castle. When you watch the show, he's the police officer that May talks to when entering the castle. When you watch the show, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about, but that was a real-life person. He was the first victim of the rising also if you watch the show and think that i missed anyone important then let me know on twitter but there was just so many people that this episode would be so long seriously now let's talk a little bit of what happens in the first season of the show the netflix description is dublin's violent easter rising of 1916 ignites a long and bloody conflict between british military forces and irish revolutionary fighters now, the show actually starts on August 3rd, 1914, and it opens with the text, Europe stands on the brink of war. Ireland, the oldest colony of the vast British Empire, stands divided between those who support home rule and those who do not. Now, I will get into what home rule is because it is somewhat important to understand that, but first, let's talk about the first scene. That is Liza, May, and Francis dressed as geisha singing Three Little Maids on a stage, and then 
after the performance, we see Liza making her way through the room, and she's kind of saying hi to people, and they're all congratulating her on the show. And as she's heading towards the stairs to go up to a small party that some of the, I guess, higher society people are having after the show, she's stopped by Jimmy. And they have a little small talk about if he liked the performance, and they make some jokes back and forth. And then he gives her a pin that says H-A. And she takes it and thanks him, but kind of hides it. And we don't know what it means or what it stands for. But then a man comes over and tells her that they're waiting for her upstairs, and she says goodbye to Jimmy. And then she goes upstairs and goes over to her parents and says hi to them. And then goes to stand by Stephen, and she is joined by May and Francis. And then Stephen is about to give a toast, but before that happens, Mr. Hammond comes over and offers a drink to May and Francis, and May accepts, but Francis says no thank you. And we also meet Liza's brother, Harry, during this toast, because something that Stephen says, Harry says something like, oh, come on, man, that's my sister. Something that a brother would say. But his toast is for the women, and then while they're all taking a sip of their drinks after Stephen's finished, church bells go off in the distance, and you can hear horses as well. And then everyone in the room gets silent, and they all look around uneasy, waiting for someone to say or do something. And finally, a guy in the back says, that's it. It's war. And then we see Jimmy walking through the streets with the bells ringing, and you can see some people panicking in the background, and then some other people are kind of just, like, walking casually. And Jimmy walks up to his brother, Art, who is sitting by a fire. It's in the poor part of the city, and Art says, so it's war. And then Jimmy says, it's not our war. And then it goes back to the party, and Stephen proclaims his support for the king, saying that they will show their support, and then when the war is over, they can open a parliament in Dublin. And then they start singing, God Save the King. Some in the room are singing with pride, some are singing unsure, and some are not singing at all. So Stephen, May, Liza's father, and Mr. Hammond are among those singing with pride. Liza and her mother are a little bit unsure. And Francis and Harry are not singing at all. Then there's the sound of a missile launching and the screen goes black. And it picks up two years later on Tuesday, April 16th, 1916, Holy Week. Now, I'm not going to go over what happens from here on out. You can watch it for yourself. But this show focuses more on the point of view of the everyday average citizen of Dublin and how their lives were affected by the Easter Rising and not on the leaders that history always focuses on. I already knew the events that this show covers because I've written a few papers on the Irish Republican Army, which I'll talk about a little bit more in a minute, but I've done a ton of research on them and the history of Ireland while in grad school and how and why they were formed, and I feel like knowing some of the history is important. I'm going to try to not get super deep into it because this isn't a history podcast, but... Like I said, I think a little context is important because I know that a lot of you have probably never heard of the Easter Rising and don't know the players involved or what led up to it. So after the screen goes black, it comes back and it starts with the days leading up to the Easter Rising. It also follows the days that the Easter Rising lasted and a little bit after. So I won't ruin that if you guys don't know what happened, but I do want to explain who some of the groups are and why the opening words mentioned the Home Rule Act. It can get quite confusing because there are several different groups, all with similar names, that come into play, especially on the Irish side. The British side is pretty clear. It's the British Army for the most part. But we also see the Royal Irish Constabulary, or the RIC, which was the police force in Ireland made up of Irish citizens under the authority of British administration, 
they were armed police. So there's both unarmed police and armed police. When you watch the show, any police officer that's carrying usually a rifle, you'll definitely see them in the second season. That's part of the IRC. And like I said, they come more into play in the second season. And then there's the loyalists, we'll call them, who were Irish citizens who remained loyal to the king. I'll also talk about them a little bit more in a minute. But a lot of people get the different Irish groups confused, which, don't worry, it can get very confusing, especially when you start talking about the IRA, and I hope that I don't make it even more confusing. But the organization that set up the Easter Rising was the Irish Republican Brotherhood, not the Irish Republican Army. That wasn't formed until 1917. The IRB was a secret fraternal organization that was active between the years 1858 to 1924. Their main goal was to establish an independent democratic republic, so basically to free Ireland from British rule. The fight for Irish freedom started way before 1858, but I'm not going to go into that. Just know that it was a long battle that led to the rising. The IRB worked alongside the Irish Volunteers, which also went by the Irish Volunteers Force or Irish Volunteers Army, and they were formed in 1913, and their goal was to secure and maintain the rights and liberties common to the whole people of Ireland. They were led by Eamon de Valera and Ian McNeil, and I will talk about why they were formed in a minute, but they eventually evolved into the IRA in 1917. The other group that the IRB worked with was the Irish Citizen Army, so the Irish Volunteers Army and the Irish Citizen Army. Like I said, it gets confusing. But the ICA was also formed in 1913, and they disbanded in 1947. They were a small paramilitary group of trade union volunteers from the Irish Transport and General Workers Union. This is probably the one that plays the biggest role in this season, in my opinion. Because like I said, the show focuses more on the everyday average people in Dublin that lived through the Rising. And they definitely mention the ICA more than the Irish Republican Brotherhood or the Volunteers. They definitely mention the Brotherhood and Volunteers, but the ICA is is the one that they talk about the most. They were led by several people, but the ones that you will recognize in this show are James Connolly and Constance Markovich. The last group that plays a huge role in the Easter Rising is the Kumanaman, the Women's Wing. I mentioned them earlier, and like I said, I've written two or three papers on them, and they are often overlooked when telling the story of the fight for the freedom of Ireland, like most women are and they were founded in 1914. Another group that plays a part in the show, and it's mentioned several times in the first season, I would say plays a bigger role in the second season, is the political party Sinn Féin. The original form of this group was founded in 1905, like I mentioned earlier, and the current form in 1970. Sinn Féin is a center-left to left-wing group that is active in both the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. Sinn Féin is Irish for we ourselves or ourselves, Depends on where you look online, it has both of the translations. And again, it was founded by Arthur Griffith. Now, I've mentioned the Irish Republican Army a couple of times, and I just want to talk about them briefly because they do play a part in the second season, which takes place in 1920, around the time of Bloody Sunday. The IRA is an extremist organization that fights to end British rule in Ireland and Northern Ireland. Now, There are going to be some of you that might wonder why I use the present tense when saying that, because if you do a quick Google search, it says that the IRA is no longer active, which is technically not true. Um, So because I've written so many papers about this, I could talk about this for hours, but I'm not going to. I'm going to try to do this as quick as I can, but I just want to give you a somewhat of an understanding of the IRA and the way that it's formed today. 
So since 1917, there has been one form or another of the IRA active in Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. There have been several splits. The biggest split happened in 1969 when it formed two different groups, the PIRA, the Provisional IRA, and the Original Irish Republican Army, or the OIRA. Now, the Provisional IRA is the most well-known form of the IRA. In most cases, when people talk about the IRA, they are talking about the Provisional IRA. They are an even more extreme version of the IRA. And like I said, they're the most well-known, and they're also the deadliest form of the IRA. The OIRA was kind of forgotten about in history. There's not a lot about them, but the 1969 was not the first split of the IRA. The, I would say the first was in 1921, and we see some of the events that lead to that split in the second season. So I'm not going to go over it too, too much. But the PIRA was disbanded in 2005, and like I was saying, a lot of people think that in 2005... That was the end of the IRA. The ceasefire was agreed upon and that was it. And it's just not true because there are at least two still active today. The Continuity Irish Republican Army or the CIRA and the Real Irish Republican Army or the RIRA are two splinter groups that have split off from the PIRA and are still active today. They are much smaller. I think one group only has 50 people in it that are known. The other has like 150, maybe 200 they are still active, as is the Kumnaman, which is the women's wing. They're more of one entity now than the Kumnaman and the IRA were back in the early 1900s. Then they were two different organizations. They worked together, but I would say they're more one entity now. But I just wanted to say that because a lot of people think that the IRA is gone. The IRA is not gone. I honestly don't even know how many factions of the IRA have existed or do exist Nobody really knows. There's not a lot of information on them now because they're not as big as they were. The research for this was one of the worst researching papers that I ever did, and I regretted it so, so much. It was actually a presentation for this, the current forms of the IRA, and I did relook just to make sure that they didn't disband in the three years since it's been since I did that presentation, I think, three or four years, and they are still active, but... It just came up on Facebook as a reminder of presenting that. And I presented while extremely sick because we were told we were not allowed to miss class. One kid ended up missing class because he was sick and I was so mad. And I had to present because we like basically drew straws and I was unlucky. And I pronounced all of the names wrong. But I think just the fact that I didn't faint, the professor was more than happy that I, he didn't have to do any paperwork or anything like that. But I did want to mention the IRA because they are in the second season and it can get confusing. Like I said, most of us, when we think of the IRA, we think of the provisional IRA. The one in the first season is the like original, original IRA. There have been a lot of them that have claimed the original IRA or the real IRA. It, the original, original 1917 IRA is in the second season. But the history of Ireland and the groups that fought for its freedom and the ones that claim to be doing the same thing today is the perfect example of the difference between freedom fighters and terrorists. Now, I'm not going to get into that because as cliche as it is, one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. Here in America, the IRA were called activists and guerrillas, which are positive terms, and in Britain, they are called terrorists. But I do want to make it very clear that they do not have the support of the people that live in the Republic of Ireland in Northern Ireland today. In its early days, the IRA absolutely had support of the public. The public wanted freedom. The IRA was willing 
to fight for it. So the IRA you see in season two was publicly supported. They lost that, however, when they started killing innocent civilians. So in my opinion, as an Irish American who has studied terrorism and counterterrorism and has a master's degree in it, season one of the show tells the story of freedom fighters fighting to be free of British rule the same way our forefathers fought for our freedom. And the second one shows how the extremist organization of the IRA came to be an extremist organization that uses terrorism as a tool. We are all going to have different opinions, and that's fine, but my opinion is once you start killing innocent civilians, you are no longer a freedom fighter, and that seems obvious, common sense, but again, one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. Now let's talk about the Home Rule Act, or the Government of Ireland Act 1914. The definition of Home Rule, for those that don't know, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, is self-government or limited autonomy in eternal affairs of a dependent political unit such as a territory or municipality this act was passed after the third attempt and it allowed a bicameral irish parliament to be located in dublin that would have the power to deal with most of the national affairs there would be 40 seats in the senate and 164 seats in their house of commons there would also be 42 irish mps that would continue to sit in the parliament of the united kingdom down from the 103 and finally, the abolition of Dublin Castle administration, but the Lord Lieutenant, which is what the chief governor of Ireland was called, would remain there. The first time this bill was introduced in 1912, it passed the House of Commons by 10 votes, but was not passed in the House of Lords with 326 no votes to the 69 yes votes. In 1913, it was reintroduced and again it was passed by the House of Commons and rejected by the House of Lords with a vote of 302 to 64. And in 1914, it was once again introduced and again passed the House of Commons by I believe 77 votes and was defeated by the House of Lords but this time the government used the provisions of the new Parliament Act and sent it for a royal assent which means that the monarch rules on whatever is presented to them and in this case the king decided to pass it so he overruled the House of Lords. Now I know that there are some of you who might be confused about who exactly was opposing this because it does give some freedoms to Ireland and that is the Unionists in Ulster, which is the northern province on the Isle of Ireland. It is made up of nine counties. Six of them are in Northern Ireland and the other three are in the Republic of Ireland. But they were against the act because they feared that it would lead to the separation from the United Kingdom. They didn't want to leave and they were willing to fight to stay. History twist. How many times in history does that happen? Usually that group forms in retaliation to the group that wants to leave. In this case, the formation of the Ulster Volunteers in 1912 led to the formation of the Irish Volunteers. So they wanted more free Ireland, the Ulster Volunteers did not. So like I said, usually it's the other way. Usually it's the group that wants out that is formed first and the other group's like, no, 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 no we want to stay. And this time it was like, we want to stay and it was like, no, 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 we want to leave. And like I said, the Loyalists, we'll call them, those were the Irish citizens that wanted home rule, but also wanted to stay part of the United Kingdom. So they were like the middle group. So they were like, yay, pro home rule, but like also yay, the king. The separation that this act created in Ireland is what led to the Easter Rising. I don't know if I would say the Easter Rising was about the Irish nationalists, which was the Irish volunteers, wanting it to be implemented because they wanted to be completely free and this act didn't give them complete freedom. It just gave them some control over their country and they wanted Britain out completely. 
but the act was never actually implemented because of various reasons, including the start of World War I, and the Irish volunteers and their allies wanted to take the opportunity of Britain being distracted by the war to have a rebellion. So the group was formed because of Home Act rule. I don't know if they attacked because of it, if that makes any sense. But the Irish nationalist side, the Irish volunteers, the Irish Citizen Army, the Brotherhood, they used guns that were smuggled in by the Germans, and it took two years for the attack to come to be because of the planning. It had to be done in secret. There were different groups that all had to come together and work together and agree upon what the plan was going to be and agree who was going to be in charge. And they also tried to get Germany to join in on the attack. Ultimately, Germany decided not to join them, but like I said, sent over guns and ammunition. Also, the British government in Ireland thought that when the attacks happened on Easter Monday that it was actually Germany, but Germany only supplied the guns and ammunition. They weren't actually there involved in it. So those were the people that were involved in some of the events that happened leading up to the Easter Rising. The second season covers the events of Bloody Sunday, and it takes place in 1920. This season, we are seeing the actions of the IRA, who is being led by Michael Collins. Bloody Sunday was November 21st, 1920, and a total of 32 people were killed, 13 British soldiers and police, 16 Irish civilians, and three IRA prisoners. The events are spread out throughout the day, and they do cover that in the show, so I won't tell you exactly what happens, because, to be honest with you, that episode was probably my favorite episode of the whole show. Both seasons. It was wild. But I don't remember them mentioning the total number of deaths that day, so I just wanted to make sure I mentioned it. The youngest victims of the day were Jerome O'Leary, who was 10, and William Robinson, who was 11, and he ended up dying two days later. There were also at least 60 civilians injured. But like I said, I, I wanted to mention the total numbers because I don't think they do in the show. Also, there was a second Bloody Sunday that happened in 1972 in Derry, Northern Ireland on January 30th. So if you've heard of that one and are slightly confused, it's because they just use the same name for the two events. I think the one in Derry has a different name, something to do with whatever neighborhood it took place in. But two Bloody Sundays, both in Ireland, Northern Republic... But the one in the second season is the 1921, not the 1972. There are some characters that carry over from season one into season two. Not many. The ones that are credited are Jimmy Mann, Minnie Mann, Sadie Mann, Gracie Mann, and Harry Butler. I did just want to mention that those are the only crossovers into season two. Now that you know somewhat of the history of what leads up to it, the whole first season is Easter Rising. I could argue, oh, it's history. Technically, there's no spoilers and then tell you everything that happens. But they are fictional stories that take place on those days, and I don't want to ruin any of it. If you know it, you know it. If you don't, watch the show and find out. So we're just going to continue to the next section, which is likes and dislikes. So I'm just going to say right now, there wasn't anything that I didn't like about this show. I know it wasn't perfect and that there were those historical inaccuracies, but I didn't really care because of how good I thought it was. One of my favorite things about the show was that it has some of the best quotes I've ever heard in my entire life. I wrote down so many while watching it, but I'm just going to go over my favorite three. And the first one, and I don't remember who said this, but it's, but I'd sooner to die free than live as a slave. It's like the New Hampshire live free or die slogan. That's what it reminded me of. Another one is said by Mrs. Butler to her husband, and it's forced loyalty is slavery. And that's another one that you're just like, oh. That's a good one. Forced loyalty is slavery. And the last one is a bit of a back and forth between Elizabeth Butler 
and George Wilson, who is friends with her husband, Stephen. George Wilson is played by Andrew Simpson. And I'm not going to tell you exactly when or why they had this conversation. And I'm not even going to tell you what his profession is because that could give it away. But Liza responds to something that George says with, Why is it you men think that every serious thing that a woman does is the result of being in love with some man? Or being misled by some man? And to which George says back, I beg your pardon? I was only trying to help. I know what you were trying to do. What every man tries to do to every woman. But I know my own mind, George. And that scene encompasses the other thing that I really liked about this show. And was that it showed the role that women played in the fight to free Ireland of British rule. We all know history likes to leave women out and how significant their roles were. But this show shows the different ways that women got involved. And there were different ways that women got involved. They didn't all fight on the front lines. They weren't all nurses. There's different ways that they got involved. And like I said at the beginning, I've written papers on women's roles in extremist organizations for grad school. And it's very hard to get information because they're, they're just not talked about. Because it's hard for people to see women as active members, which is why that conversation between Liza and George stood out to me. And it was just like, this is the reason I wrote that paper. Because women are always seen as the victim, and this show does a great job of showing that it isn't always the case. Like I said, I know the show isn't 100% accurate, and that will annoy some of you guys, but I really enjoyed the different stories and how they all tie together. And to me, one of the best and truest representations of women in the battle for freedom, not just in Ireland, but in pretty much every struggle of every country that's trying to get freedom. So some things that stood out to me were one that they mentioned Kumnaman, which I have mentioned several times, but I already knew about them because I wrote a paper about them in grad school, technically two papers, but one was solely on them and the other was my capstone paper, which is the final paper I had to write in order to get my master's in security studies. I wrote about women and terrorism and Kumnaman was one of the six groups that I covered in it. And let me just say, I am so glad that paper is over. I still stress out about it. 50 pages and countless nights of no sleep. It made writing six-page papers seem super easy. But because of all the research that I've done on them, I wasn't surprised by the involvement of the women. But when they mentioned Countess Constance Markovich, her name was already familiar to me as well. So it was also cool to see that, that they weren't leaving out the women leaders. They also mentioned Boston in season two. I'm not going to mention why they mention it. But again, if they mention Boston, I will pick it up. It was also cool to see places that I've been to in real life, which is one of my favorite things about watching foreign shows that take place where I've been because I get so excited like a little kid in candy, like Trinity College, which does appear in the show. When we flew to Europe, our first stop was Barcelona, but we had a 13 hour layover in Dublin. So we jumped on one of those city tour buses and rode around and we saw the whole city and we saw a lot of these places in the show. But it started to rain and we were like stuck up on the second level and we got soaked, like dripping wet from head to toe. And of course, we didn't have any changes because it was just layover and we didn't take our bags with us. So we stopped at Trinity College and bought sweatshirts so we could have something dry on when we got back on the plane. And also, a little fun fact, my brother's wearing his today. So I thought that was funny. He had no idea I was recording this episode about an Irish show and then I would be talking about our, the story of how we got that sweatshirt, but fun fact, he's wearing it today. 
And that day, that was such a long and weird day, mainly because it was just so long. And 13-hour layover is a long-ass layover, but mainly because it was my first day outside of the United States. So Dublin will always be special, and Trinity College will always make me happy, even if it is just seeing it in a show, because it brings back those memories as crazy and as ugh as they are. Um, Because, yeah, that day was, was absolutely crazy. But we also saw Dublin Castle while on the tour. And then when we went back at the end of the trip, like six weeks later, uh, we saw it again when we stopped by St. Patrick's Cathedral, which is across the street from it. I mean, the tour guide pointed out pretty much all of the spots that played a role in the Easter Rising because we were there in 2016, which was the 100th anniversary. So it was on everyone's mind there. But it was cool watching the show and recognizing some of the places just because, like I said, I always get so excited. Even American shows, like a show that takes place in Boston or something. I'm like, I've been there. Like, it's just one of those weirdisms that I have. So let's continue on to the next part, which is words and phrases. Um, So I do have some words in Irish for you guys, as well as some slang. Now, the pronunciation of these words vary depending on where on Ireland you are. Like I mentioned, the different dialects. I'm going to go with the Connacht dialect, mainly because that's spoken in the part of Ireland that my mom's side is from, Carrow, which is a village in County Galway. So if you have heard of these and disagree with my pronunciation, just remember that fun fact that there are hundreds of different accents in Ireland, and we're both right. So the first word is ta, spelled T-A, and the A has an accent on it. Now the show translates it as yes, as does Google Translate, but it's not what it actually means, and that's because there's actually no word for yes or no in Irish. So the scene where I first grabbed this was when Pierce asks Francis if she has a friend in Dublin Castle. And what he says in Irish, he doesn't say it in English, he says it in Irish. But he says, you have a friend there, right? And because there's no word for yes, the correct response in Irish is, I have. Or, I have a friend there. Because the answer to a question almost always has the same verb as the question. So to say, I have, you say, to'am. And that's spelled T-A space a-G-A-M. And because we humans try to shorten everything we can, it's common just to say tall. Now, full disclosure, I already knew that Gaelic didn't have a word for Irish, so when I saw that that's how it was translated, I already knew that it wasn't 100% accurate, so I knew to further look up to find out exactly what she was saying. And it's a perfect example of why I make sure to look up exactly what these words and phrases mean. It would have been easier to just say that it means yes, because yeah, Francis is technically saying yes, but that's not how that language functions. And to me, at least, knowing how a language functions is interesting. Another word that I learned was astor, spelt A space S-T-O-R, and the O has an accent. And it means my treasure, my darling, or my love. So it's a nice term of endearment, which besides swears, is one of my favorite things to learn. The next one is the phrase, your brick, which is slang for you're a fine person. I guess it's an older term and it isn't really used often anymore, but they do say it in the show, you're a brick. I think he says it sarcastically, but you're, it's still, you're a fine person, you're a brick. And the last one is one that I already knew from a different Irish show, but I love it so much. And that show's not on Netflix and probably never will be, which makes me sad, but it's the word Egypt. 
spelled E-E-J-I-T, and it's used to call someone a dumbass. So it's the Irish equivalent of the Spanish pendejo. So I think they say it in Dairy Girls as well, Egypt. But the show that I think about is uh, Mrs. Brown's Boys, and she says it all the time, and she says, you feckin' Egypt. Feckin' F-E-C-K-I-N, I think. And uh, it's just a roundaway so that she doesn't get in trouble for saying fucking, because you can't say it on television there either. So you feckin' Egypt is calling someone a fucking dumbass. It's just, it's just beautiful. It's even better when people don't know what you're saying. And you can call it to them and be like, ah, don't worry about it. And they're like, uh, oh, okay. So, Tor, Toram, Astor, Yurbrick, and Egypt. Those are the words and phrase from this show. Now, as far as familiar faces go, there were two actors that I recognized, and I'm positive that most of you will recognize the first one, and that's Michelle Fairley. She played Liza's mother, Dolly. She is most well known for portraying Catelyn Stark in Game of Thrones, and I will say I hated her in that show, like most of us did, right? She was Catelyn Stark hater, hater. But I also recognized her from the show Suits. She played Ava Hessington in a couple episodes of that, but she was also in the other British show Miss, which is a great, amazing show. I think it's on Hulu. Love that show. But she played Louise Young in that show. The other one is Ian McElhiney. He played Liza's father, Edward. And I recognized him from Game of Thrones. He played Barristan Selmy, as well as Dairy Girls. He is Grandpa Joe, so the grumpy old man. If you guys recognize any of the actors, which I'm sure some of you guys will. I mean, there's a lot of British and Irish actors that are in a lot of British shows. So I'm sure some of you will recognize some other people. If you did recognize other people, let me know on Twitter. I'm always interested in that kind of stuff. But that's kind of it for this history lesson. I should have done this episode next week, really, because next week it would have been on the 23rd and the first day of the Easter Rising was April 24th, but I wasn't really paying attention to the dates, to be honest. It was more picked for this week because it was episode 17 and St. Patrick's Day is March 17th, but it is what it is. You know, you live and you learn. I don't know if they'll do another season for this show. I haven't heard anything about it. I've heard some rumblings, but nothing confirmed. If you like history and are interested and things like this, then you will like this show. It was really good. I absolutely loved it. If you are Irish and have never heard of the Easter Rising, then definitely watch the show. You should know your history. I was there in 2016, like I said, which was the 100th anniversary, and there were signs everywhere for it. If I can find one of the pictures that I took while we were there, I'll post it on Instagram. If you do give the show a chance, let me know what you thought about it. If you have any suggestions for any other shows that you want me to watch, let me know on Twitter. And as always, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at OfficialHYSI. Go give the Facebook page a like, facebook.com slash OfficialHYSI. And next episode, I will be talking about the Norwegian comedy Norseman. Have you seen it? Because I have. <laughs>